This is A Disciple's Point of View, One Disciple's Perspective on God's Word. My name is Craig and I'll be your host today as we go through a myriad of topics related to Christianity. Hello and welcome to this special edition of A Disciple's Point of View. Today, I want to talk to you about something that we just celebrated yesterday here in the United States, and that is the Independence Day of the American Revolutionary War from 1776, in which case our nation was born and we broke free from the British Empire. Here's the thing. This is not going to be a typical kind of podcast celebrating that. It is, in a way, going to be celebrating that, but I want to come from a biblical point of view. And I know that uh, some of our brothers and sisters listening to this probably won't be too terribly happy about what I'm going to say. But at the same time, it's biblical. It's it's what God's word decrees. So let's start from the get-go. A lot of people, whenever you start talking about the Bible, and especially in Romans chapter 13, as it relates to governmental authority and when it tries to tell the church what to do and what not to do, they will oftentimes cite this portion of scripture, and I'm just going to read it to you right now. It's found in Revel- I'm sorry, Romans 13, and it's verses 1 through 7. And it says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but to, but for also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you pay taxes, and the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes are to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. You really have to keep in mind when this was written, when Paul penned this letter to the Romans, right? The Roman Empire was the governing authority of the day. And Jesus walked the earth during the Roman Empire, right? So if Jesus were here to set up God's kingdom and to overthrow the Romans, which much of the zealots wanted Jesus to do, that would have been the perfect time to do it. As a matter of fact, that's honestly what the disciples thought was going to happen. They didn't really see past oftentimes that he would talk about that he would die, that he would soon die. Peter even said, Lord, this shall never happen to you. And then Jesus said, get thee behind me, Satan. Because Peter, in his limitations and his limited understanding of the scriptures, saw that one particular thing was going to happen when, in fact, it wasn't going to happen. Okay, It wasn't going to happen the way he thought, at the very least. So we really have to consider when Romans was penned. It was penned during the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire was excoriatingly uh, brutal, very brutal. Um, they had certain rights and limitations for their citizens. I wouldn't necessarily say it was an oppressive kind of government, except to those who were being conquered by the Romans, right? 
the Roman legions were known as the Iron Legion, which interestingly enough, if you look over in Daniel chapter 2, the vision of Nebuchadnezzar, the setup for uh, Daniel chapter 2, and this is relevant, I promise. The setup of Daniel chapter 2 was that the king had a dream that disturbed him, but he, it disturbed him so much and he wanted to know specifically what it meant that he brought together all the wise men and conjurers and said, I had a dream and I want you to interpret it. And they're like, okay, tell us the dream and then we'll interpret it. He goes, you know what? I want you to tell me what it was I dreamed and then interpret it for me. He goes, uh, not even the gods can do this. The gods, they don't live among men. And so we don't, we can't do that. So he sent out a proclamation of death to all of them because he's like, well, what good are they if they're going, if they can't even tell me what I dreamed, right? So Daniel, who was one of the exiles in the, uh, the kingdom of Babylon at that time, which was the Babylonian king that was issuing this proclamation, Daniel prayed to the God of heaven to allow him to be able to do this. And Daniel was given the vision, right? And in the vision, he saw a statue. There was a head of gold. There were uh, arms um, of of silver and then it was uh, a, a torso of bronze legs thighs and legs of iron and then feet partly of iron and clay okay it is largely believed that was that was the succession and daniel did confirm as much in daniel, daniel chapter 2 that it was going to be a succession of nations over the nation of israel right Basically, Jesus penned it. He said it's the times of the Gentiles. Many commentators believe, and I believe the same thing, that the thighs and legs were the Roman Empire. So they were still under the dominion of what God had revealed to the prophet Daniel in Daniel chapter 2. But another thing that's relevant to this is in Daniel chapter 2, in praise to the God of heaven, he gave a, a prayer of praise and thanks to God. He said in verse 20 through 22, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. This is the key thing right here. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. I went through all of that to illustrate one thing. According to Romans chapter 13, which was penned about sixteen to 1,700 years before the American Revolution. The American Revolution technically was a rebellion against God himself, in a way. Now, you may be thinking, well, wait, no, 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 no. They, they were rebelling against a king who was being oppressive, who was trying to burden the people with taxes, who was taking the homes of people, who were doing all sorts of terrible things. So, no, the American Revolution, they just wanted to live in peace and they wanted to restore justice, right? Well, the same might have been said during the Roman Empire, right? Or any other empire, that Paul told us to be subject to. The only time we're allowed to rebel against governmental authority is if it goes against what God has instituted, such as in the book of Acts. The Pharisees were telling the apostles, we forbid you to preach and teach in this name, being the name of Jesus. And uh, I believe it was the apostle Peter who said, judge for yourselves whether it is right for us to obey you or to obey God, right? So the only time we can obey just fully rebel against governmental authority is if that governmental authority is telling us to disobey God. And it very well could be said that King George 
was a religious man as well. He was under the king, uh, I'm sorry, the Church of England at that point. So there was some degree of religious hierarchy and paying taxes is, I mean, you just saw it here in Romans chapter 13. There was another story in the Gospels where um, they were being asked to pay a tax. And basically Jesus said, go fishing and then take the coin you find in that fish's mouth and pay the tax for you and for me. And it happened just as Jesus said it would. And if paying taxes were wrong or it was an ungodly thing to do, why would Jesus then advocate taxes be, be paid on his behalf? As a matter of fact, at another point, Jesus was sitting here saying, he was asked a question rather, um, is it right for us to obey Caesar? Because the thought was, is that we're under Gentile dominion. We need to rebel. We need to break free. We need to become a sovereign nation again that we were, say, under King David. And Jesus said, well, bring me the coin that's used to pay the tax. Whose likeness is on here? And they said, Caesar's. And, you know, it's a famous saying that Jesus said, Pay unto Caesar that which is Caesar's and pay unto God that which is God's, right? Because God himself said in Daniel chapter 2, or Daniel said of God, that he removes kings and he sets up kings, right? So it is God's sovereignty that rules the day and any, uh, any governmental authority that is over us is instituted by God. But why then would God allow the American colonies to separate from the British Empire if it is a violation of his word, right? Well, for that answer, I think we can go back to the Old Testament. In 1 Kings chapter 11, verses 26 through 40, it chronicles basically what would happen to the nation, ancient Israel uh, kingdom, right? It was uh, uh, 12 tribes made up the kingdom of Israel. But at some point they split and it was around a little bit after the time of the death of Solomon. Starting in verse 26, it says, Jeroboam, son of Nebat, an Ephraimite of Zeradah, a servant of Solomon, whose mother was named Zurah, a widow, also lifted up his hand against the king. And this was the reason why he lifted his hand up against the king. Solomon built the Milo and closed up the breach of the city of David, his father. The man Jeroboam was very able, and when Solomon saw that the young man was industrious, he gave him charge over all the forced labor of the house of Joseph. And at that time, when Jeroboam was out of Jerusalem, the prophet Abijah, the Silionite, found him on the road. Now, no, I'm sorry, not Abijah, but Aiha. Now, Aiha had dressed himself in a new garment, and two of them were alone in the open country. Then Aiha laid hold of a new garment that was on him and tore it into twelve pieces. And he said to Jeroboam, Take, it, take for yourselves ten pieces, for thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Behold, I am about to tear the kingdom from the hand of Solomon and to give you ten tribes. But he shall have one tribe for the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, the city which I have chosen from all of the tribes of Israel, because they have forsaken me and worship Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, Chemosh, the god of Moab, and Milcom, the god of the Ammonites. And they have not walked in my ways, doing what is right in my sight and keeping my statute and rules as David his father did. Nevertheless, I will take the whole kingdom out of his hand, but I will make him a ruler all the days of his life. 
for the sake of David, my servant, whom I chose, whom I command, who kept my commandments and statutes. But I will take the kingdom out of my sons, out of his son's hands, and will give it to you, ten tribes. Yet to his son, I will give one tribe, that David, my servant, may always have a lamp before me in Jerusalem, the city where I have chosen to put my name. And I will take you, and you shall rule over all that your soul desires, and you shall be king over Israel. And you will listen to all that I command you and will walk in my ways and do what is right in my eyes and keeping my statutes and commandments as my servant David did. I will be with you and will build you a sure house as I built for David. And I will give you, I will give all of Israel to you. Or I'm sorry, I will give Israel to you and I will afflict the offspring of David because of this, but not forever. Solomon sought therefore to kill Jeroboam, but Jeroboam arose and fled to Egypt and Shishak, king of Egypt, and was in Egypt until the death of Solomon. So basically all of that to say that there was going to be a civil war within Israel. And as a matter of fact, when there was action to be taken in Israel um, to try to unite both of or all of the tribes of Israel to keep the ten tribes from going to the north, Rehoboam was stopped, who was going to be king of Judah and Benjamin that stayed with the tribe of Judah to form the king, kingdom of the south or the Ju Judean kingdom, as it were. God stopped Rehoboam from allowing that to happen because eventually the ten tribes that went to the north, they fell into ungodliness and they ended up falling into the hands of the Assyrians and were taken into captivity and were never allowed to be returned into the land ever again. And all that remained was the kingdom of Judah, basically two tribes that remained. So all of that to say that there is such a thing that people, theologians have coined called God's permissive will and God's perfect will. Okay, God's perfect will is if we follow his word completely thoroughly into the letter. God's permissive will utilizes the whims and I guess you could say the misadventures and the sinful inclinations of people to work out his purposes. Romans 8.28 says, all things work together for the good of those who love God. It's, you've got to remember, it doesn't say all things work together for good. And it's not that all those things that happen are good, but all things work together for the good of those who love God. So that's why the book of James can say rejoice when you undergo trials of various kinds because it builds character. God is basically utilizing rough instruments to chisel the wood or to chisel the stone, right? We're the euphemistic uh, wood and stone here that God is chiseling away and making his statue. So God uses our times of rebellion against him for his own purposes to bring about prophecy, basically. Now, I'm not sitting here saying America fulfilled prophecy, but I'm certain that America has played a huge role in the end times. Think of this for a second. So America is the lone superpower in the world still, at least for now. And Israel is constantly under some sort of attack, whether it be political, whether it be militarily, whether it be economic, whether it be anything else, the nation of Israel in the Middle East has been the most contentious nation since it was formed on May 14th, 1948, which 
is a fulfillment of God's word in Isaiah chapter 66, shall a nation be born in a day. And according to uh, Ezekiel chapter 37, where God said he would regather the nation and he would place them into a new covenant, the new covenant that Jesus brought about in fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 53. So America has been the big brother, so to speak, to Israel. And because of the religious freedoms that are available in America under the First Amendment of the Constitution of the United States, we are allowed to freely practice our religion without government interference, or at least that's how it's supposed to work. And as a result, America has been a shining light on the hill for the gospel for a really long time. Hopefully that will remain for quite a long while. Um, however, given everything such as I went over in tumultuous times, I think the signs of the times are pointing really quickly to the, to the time of the fulfillment of the tribulation that is going to be coming upon the whole world and also to purify Israel to where they will receive the new covenant that was meant for them as fulfilled or as for, uh, foretold in Ezekiel chapter 36, Ezekiel chapter 37, Jeremiah 31, uh, Daniel chapter 9, and Isaiah chapter 53. Okay, so times they are changing, and I think anybody that has been keeping their ear to the ground, so to speak, to any degree in relation to the news and especially to Israel and everything that has been happening seems to me that times are coming rapidly to a close, okay? So one thing you would really want to do is you want to be ready for the tribulation period. And re realistically, the church is not going to be here during that time. So in order to get prepared for the tribulation, we have to be ready to be taken out of this world before the tribulation happens. And how that occurs, I want you to listen to the segment coming up right after this. At this point in the podcast, I want to reach out to you. And if you have never done so, if you have never entered into a saving relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ, I want to invite you to do that today. All you need to do is believe. Believe that Jesus was who he said he was. He was God in the flesh. Believe in your heart that he died for your sins and rose from the dead. Confess him as Lord. And the Bible says that you will be saved if you do that. If you truly believe in your heart that Jesus is who he said he was and that he did exactly what he said he would do for you, you will be saved. It is simply that easy. A lot of people say prayer, prayer. And that's great to confess and put your mind and your heart and everything through a process, if you will, to be able to embody what's already taken place in your heart. By simply saying, Lord Jesus, I believe that you died for my sins. I believe in my heart that you were raised from the dead. And now I confess you as Lord. Please take control of my life. And I want to follow you for the rest of my days. In Jesus name I pray. Amen. That's all you need to do. And your life will change. Your life will change, not necessarily materially, not necessarily in terms of the world, but your life will change as far as your relationship with God. And you can know for certain that you're saved. 
The Apostle John wrote that when he was pinning 1 John. He says, I write these things to you that you may know that you have eternal life. Not that you can hope, not that you can wonder, but that you can know. Ephesians 2 verses 8 and 9 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. I want to thank you so much for listening to my podcast today. If you'd like to get in touch with me for any reason, I have the links for the social networks that I am connected on in my bio for this podcast. I'm also available at Gmail at DisciplePOV, that's D-I-S-C-I-P-L-E-P-O-V at gmail.com. If you have anything that you would like to convey to me, such as something you agree with, something you don't, or anything else, or if you did receive the Lord Jesus Christ into your life, I'd love to hear from you today and to assist you on your new eternal journey.